filled with teaching, truths and issues that matter. Bernie Diamond's A Different Perspective, part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. No doubt you will be concerned about some of the senseless killing and disturbing developments of recent times. Well, we shake our heads in disgust that an eco-fascist extremist with communist leanings would kill innocent Muslims at prayer in a peaceful nation like New Zealand. We shake our heads in disgust at Boko Haram and Fulani herdsmen with attacks on Christians in Africa. There are senseless imprisonments in labour camps and executions of Christians in North Korea for the crime of having a Bible in their possession. There's severe crackdowns happening on Christians who are seen as subversive in China with the intent of containing the spread of Christianity and even the accusations that religious prisoners have been killed for the purpose of harvesting organs. You know, it's not easy to talk about these things, but let's bring them all into some context. Then there's the growing vigilantism in nations like Pakistan, against any group that resists Sharia law or of Hindu nationalists trying to stamp out subversive Christianity. And we are dismayed by the hundreds of terror attacks by extremist Islamists around the world every year in the name of their extremist loyalty to the teaching of the Quran. And you know, when I say hundreds every year, In fact, it may be hundreds every month. Well, in many of these cases, Christians are caught in the middle. If it's not terror attacks on churches or vigilante justice from mobs roaming the streets, it's the growing threat of lawfare that's taking hold in the courts of Western nations. And then there's the anti-Christian sentiment that appears to have overtaken mainstream media that reduces Christianity to be something in the idea of a relic of the past. And it appears that governments are flimsy and weak in being able to resist the growing anti-Christian trends. Well, a conversation today about resisting an overthrow of Christianity. When storm clouds are on the horizon, what ought we be doing as Christian believers? Well, our special guest through this coming hour, who will be open to taking your calls and questions and insights, is our friend Ashley Saunders. Ashley, these days, is the CEO of the Barnabas Fund in Australia. He's passionate about supporting the persecuted church and peace-building and peacemaking capabilities of individuals and communities. A long introduction, but a special welcome back to 2020 to you, Ashley Saunders. Well, thank you, Neil. It's great to be with you again. And uh, as you've been going through that litany of um, outrages, um, uh, I can only imagine how the heart of Christ um, must break for the reality that is being experienced in this world today by so many of his followers. And uh, I want, at the outset, for your listeners to know that there is hope. It's really interesting that even... In biblical times and in um, uh, immediately after New Testament times when the Christian church was facing terrible persecution, they still spoke about the hope of the gospel, the hope of the good news. 
And uh, that's the overriding message I'd love for your listeners to hear today. I hope some of this good news is reflected in some of the bad news we'll talk about. And I often say uh, the good news is not good news unless it's con- it's contrasted with the bad. Uh, earlier on when I was talking about the conversation coming up that we'll have over this coming hour, I quoted out of the letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, uh, the first one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul said to the Thessalonians, For you are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and security, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they'll not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you like a thief. Now, of course, uh, the day of the Lord, his judgment, perhaps is a context for that type of verse. But this understanding that we have of the fact that Christians are not necessarily safe wherever we are, this comes to light when we start to see things like when people are saying peace and security, peace, peace, a little bit caution here required. Uh, Yes, a lot of caution is required. And of course, uh, even Jesus himself said it's recorded by John in John's gospel. Jesus said, if they've persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And uh, around the world, Christians have been and continue to be persecuted, to be hated without a cause, that somehow there's something threatening about the truth of Jesus. Now, the message of Jesus is one of uh, grace and love and forgiveness and reconciliation, but also God's righteousness. And in that context, there is hope. And yet uh, those who don't uh, submit to the goodness of God, to the reality of Jesus Christ, find that to be very threatening. In fact, uh, even in America some few years ago, one of the humanist writers talked about the rotting corpse of Christianity. There's this idea that Christianity is uh, is a relic. I think you used that that word in your introduction, that somehow or other we've got to go beyond Christianity to something that's righteous and peaceful. And yet in that peace, there's a whole lot of violence and uh, retribution against uh, in particular Christians. Well, of course, I love talking about the peace that comes when you have the order that comes because of biblical foundations. And this idea that God is above even the laws of a land creates a peaceful context. Of course, take God out of the picture and you've got this movement into what really is chaos. So the choice that people are making these days in their thought that they are finding peace In actual fact, if we understand a biblical wisdom in this, is actually a choice for chaos. Yes, that's right. And uh, even though uh, people talk about peace, there is no peace. And again, that comes straight out of Scripture. We are to expect that. And in terms of prevailing attitudes, at least in the West today, the word love has actually been redefined so that it means what has traditionally been lust, It's all about what satisfies me, what satisfies my needs and my desires. It's all about me as opposed to true love, godly love, which is self-sacrificing and which is characterized by the other and characterized by service. Well, we're going to get into some discussion. I'm going to get your impressions as to the, uh, the, the fallout after the attack in New Zealand just a couple of weeks ago, and there'll be listeners who might like to contribute to our conversation there. 
But as we do, uh, for a lot of listeners, they won't be so familiar with the heritage that comes with the Barnabas Fund. And uh, you find yourself now in a role where you are the CEO of the Barnabas Fund in Australia. This is a global organisation we're talking about. Let us in on a few details, perhaps a little bit of history, a little bit of idea about what Barnabas Fund stands for. Well, Barnabas Fund, people would know by and large that Barnabas in the Bible was known as the son of encouragement. And the Barnabas Fund is meant to be a fund, an organisation that encourages Christians where they suffer disadvantage or worse, uh, including p- persecution in, in its full effect and martyrdom. And so Barnabas Fund has been around for well over 20 years in Britain, a little bit under that in Australia, uh, founded by an Islamic convert to Christianity, who f- a fellow who found Christ in London and uh, and who wanted to focus on the persecution that was suffered by Christians in Muslim-majority countries at a time when other organisations were focused on um, persecution in the Iron Curtain. And interestingly, back when he was raising, this is a fellow, Patrick Sukadeo and his wife, Rosemary, uh, she's a New Zealander, and um, uh, back when they were focusing the world's attention on um, persecution in Muslim-majority countries, many of the Christian churches in the West didn't even want to know about it, didn't want to open their eyes to that reality. Um, whereas uh, now many Christians are open to that reality, even though the world might not be. And so uh, there was that focus on, firstly, Christians in Muslim-majority countries. We now work in um, over 60 countries and not always Muslim-majority countries. And secondly, a focus on being an aid agency so that we provide food parcels and convert care, medical needs, a whole range of education for children and those kinds of things. Almost as though in decades previous that somehow or other uh, many Christians have heard about all of these dreadful stories about how Christians are being treated in persecution situations around the world and the feeling as though, oh, it must be a passing fad. Uh, you know, of course, it's bad news. Uh, surely, you know, sensible thinking, rationalist people uh, might not pursue that. But of course, not a passing fad. In fact, things seem to be deepening, Ashley. Yes, they are deepening in, in the across the world. And one of the anomalies, um, if that's the right word, is that even though it is increasing in many parts of the world, uh, the Western popular media and the Western popular influences of thought uh, want to remain blind and want to remain deaf to that reality. Uh, When we think of persecution, for example, in the Middle East, uh, there's a fellow, a pastor in Uganda who converted from Islam some years ago, and uh, I met him in England last year, and he says that he's um, sustained more than 13 assassination attempts on his life the most recent of which three and a half years ago was that he'd been preaching at the church where he now leads. He went outside and some Islamic um, fundamentalist radicals uh, calling out to Allah poured a bucket of acid all over his head. He had three years of medical treatment in three countries. And he makes the point, he says, when we think of persecution in the Middle East, even in a country like Uganda, which many of our listeners might even think of as a predominantly Christian country, and it is. He says in Uganda there are 80% who identify as Christians and only 12% who identify as Muslims. But even in Uganda, converts to Christ face persecution. This is happening not just in Muslim-majority places, 
but in a whole range of countries. And um, as we talk today, we might even explore why it is that the popular media, the popular thought influences in the West remain ignorant uh, of that reality. Well, very shortly, we'll open our talkback lines. In fact, let's do that. Open our talkback lines. You might have your own thoughts. You might have a question. Uh, You might even express your own dismay that some of these things are going on. Uh, 1-800-316-316. You can leave a note or a question too on our Facebook page. There's a post there. You can do that at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Ashley, wanted to talk to you about New Zealand, the massacre of Muslims, peaceful praying Muslims in a mosque. Uh, a gunman uh, opens fire, 50 dead. Uh, what are your impressions as to how things have begun to uh, evolve in the past couple of weeks since that attack? Uh, the conversation that we have, uh, I'm sure you would want it to be framed as I do within the context that we weep with those who weep, we mourn with those who mourn, that um, we condemn the attack, we reject whatever ideology of violence and hate lies behind it, uh, and we recognise that in Jesus Christ we're called to love all people. So the conversation that we have uh, is framed within that context. And as horrible as that attack is, and I know that when an attack or when something horrible happens close to home and New Zealand was once considered to be part of Australia when we were going through the process of whether the Commonwealth of Australia would be formed, the idea that New Zealand might be one of the states of that Commonwealth indicates how close we are and therefore for something like this to happen in New Zealand is almost like it's happened in Australia. It feels very close to home and yet the response to that has been to um, go to places that, that, that we don't go to when those same sorts of things happen to Christians in different parts of the world. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Our talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. Talking about, as a Christian, what do you do to resist the overthrow of Christianity? Some people would say, oh, you just roll over and let things happen. Well, I don't think that's necessarily a biblical response. You might have your own thoughts on that. Our special guest this hour, Ashley Saunders, is the CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia. We are taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Ashley, we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we won't escape uh, this idea of talking about some of the things that have been happening after New Zealand, uh, two weeks since that dreadful attack. Uh, we'll talk about some more of that, but let's take some calls. Anne is on the line from Labrador in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome. Hello. Listen, I just think it's so great that you're on, and I realise that I've gone for open doors, and we've just had someone represented to open doors in our church not long ago that gave us an, another insight, and I do receive their stuff from open doors as well. But I think sometimes when I look at it at from the Bible thing, um, it's just that Satan's trying to influence everybody because there's going to be time when he he will be put into the lake of fire and I think that this is uh, happening because I think we're getting closer to the end times when Jesus is going to come back again and uh, reclaim the earth and I'm sorry for those who don't know the Lord at the moment and those who are 
especially those even who are influenced by the other things that are going on as well. And so you're making some good uh, some good points in here. One of those I'll get Ashley to respond to is this idea, of course, there is a spiritual dimension to a battle that we are in. We're not... Uh, we're not uh, ignorant of that. What are your thoughts for Anne as she's reflecting the sorts of uh, impression that we get from Scripture, that there is a spiritual battle, and that somehow or other we ought to be expecting that these things are coming? Uh, Yes, we should. And uh, we recognize that uh, persecution has been a feature of Christianity for most of the last 2,000 years in most of the world. What we've been experiencing in the last few hundred years in the West has actually been an anomaly. It's not been experienced in in, in other places, and it's not been experienced for most of that 2,000 years. And so it's a rude awakening to us that, uh, A, persecution is happening in other places to the extent that it is, and secondly, that our own freedoms are under threat. And so the things that we've taken for granted, we now have to surrender to Christ, and instead of looking inwardly, we need to look up. Uh, It is a spiritual reality that we face. Thank you so much to Anne from Labrador. Let's take another call. Robin is on the line from Mount Morgan in Queensland. Hi, Robin. Welcome. Yes, hello. And um, hello, Ashley, too. Um, Our times, I think, can be seen in a number of pictures from the Bible, but particularly this one, 1 Kings 16, with the evil, cruel Jezebel, the daughter of a pagan priest-king, Um, I've written notes, married the king of Israel. She was killing the true prophets of God and replacing them with pagan priests of Baal, drawing people more and more into pagan worship. Well, it will take the rising of some Elijahs in our time as well to challenge this evil, um, to draw people back to the true God. So there's Jezebel... um, So I was going to say, when we see Muslims in seats of government or positions of power, we better watch out because Allah has no mercy and he will offer a false peace even um, only when only when people are subjugated to him. So it all looks peaceful. It may look peaceful now. And I know there's a lot of really good Muslim people, um, but they are swept up in this as well. But once they get in power... That's going to be a monster. That we, you know, it'll take Elijah's and even Elijah after a great victory when he um, slaughtered the, the false prophets. He ran from Jezebel because she was after him to kill him, and he lost his nerve. Um, so, but it's going to take that power. It's going to take a lot Robin, of Elijah's. They can draw on God's power. Great thoughts there. Your middle name's not Elijah, is it, Ashley? Uh, <laughs> uh, n- no, it's not. But some years ago, I heard a fellow say that he spelt Islam, I sincerely love all Muslims. And uh, I've taken that to heart. Uh, in my endeavor to love the people of that faith, and sometimes when the opportunity arises to love them enough to tell them about Jesus. So to love all Muslims whilst legitimately critiquing the faith itself. And so I draw a distinction between the the religion or the, the ideology versus the individual. And so we love the individuals, and because we love them, we're willing to critique the ideology. And uh, and certainly it is very biblical that, um, that the evil one, uh, Satan, will dress up something that is not peaceful as peace, to dress up something that is not loving as love. And uh, we need to have our wits about us. And uh, and uh, perhaps I should reinforce that, to love the individual 
and to legitimately critique the organisation or the religion. Thank you so much to Robin in Mount Morgan. Our talkback line remains open. 1-800-316-316. Let's talk about this idea of critique for a moment, Ashley, because whenever anyone starts to form any level of critique, and it happens on this program with frequency, uh, some see it as attack. So you've got to, this is a battle, I guess, that happens in your mind as to whether you step out and make your critique, as you say, in love, because that would be a motivation for having a critique. Uh, But for others, they will want to label you as an attacker. Yes, they do. That's part of the label. It's part of what we wear. It's also part of the reason that I go uh, perhaps overboard in wanting to make sure that conversations are framed within the context of the gospel. Uh, and secondly, to make sure that uh, we're as careful as we can be about the language. And uh, having done that, yes, you are open to the label as being an attacker. Um, anybody, perhaps, who would appear on your program or um, you would broadcast uh, on this station uh, would be labelled as some by uh, as, as a, a Christian right-wing fundamentalist. Uh, it's really interesting. I, I've never applied those terms to myself. Um, but uh, but those sorts of attacks come. And as long as we have integrity in our belief in Jesus, are careful about the words, are careful to guard our own heart to make sure that we are, in fact, loving towards the other, uh, some of those labels just need to be worn. Let's take another call. Gabby is on the line from Perth in WA. Hi, Gabby. Welcome. Uh, good morning. Good morning. What are your thoughts? Good morning. Look, uh I'm a, a Christian from the Middle East. We've been here a very long time, and we uh, speak Arabic. And many millions of Christians in the Middle East and all over the world of Arabic language descent use the word Allah as God, because that's the actual Arabic word for God. So uh, just following on through the last comment, that we need to be careful in our uh, choosing our words. You know, Every time I hear someone say Allah is bad, Allah is... Uh, evil, I actually get insulted because we pray to Allah in Arabic, which is the equivalent uh, word of God. So I wouldn't mind just hearing, and maybe someone take that on board uh, for your listeners. I often have conversations where experts on Islam are very, very capably and able to separate the God of the Bible that Christians worship and the God of Islam, Allah. And I know that there is a crossover in that terminology. There is a crossover in the way that people talk about definitions here. But uh, just quickly from you, Gabby, as someone who is from the Middle East, uh, do you? how do you see, I mean, when we talk about the word Allah or the word God, uh, are you seeing Allah of the Islamic people as the same God as the God of the Bible? Well, look, I'm not qualified to say that. All I'm saying is, as a Christian from Middle East descent, we use Allah every day in our prayer, in our worship. We actually revere the word Allah as uh, as the word of God. You know, if you're saying God in English, you're saying Allah in Arabic. So when people say generally, generically, that God is evil, they really should be identifying and saying, look, the Christians also use the same word. And they just to be... 
a bit more polite about how we use it. I know it is controversial because I recall just some years ago in Indonesia where Christians were using Bibles to outreach to people who are of the Islamic faith and using the word Allah in the Christian Bible uh, in order to be able to relate in a cultural sense to the people that they were trying to reach. Uh, do you have a comment for Gabby at all here, uh, Ashley Saunders? Uh, yes, only that um, uh, there are both issues of language but also nature. And so um, I acknowledge the point that he makes that the word Allah is simply the word in Arabic for God. In, so that's the language issue. In terms of the nature, we then need to look at the different scriptures to say, well, how is this God revealed? Uh, is the nature of the Allah of Islam the same uh, as the nature of the God of um, uh, Christianity? Um, uh, and, um, and and so there's extensive research gone into that um, and uh, so that's I guess language as well as nature but let's talk about and we'll come back to uh, issues to do with Islam but let's talk about another one of those threats and that of course is the rise of what we call cultural Marxism Marxism neo-Marxism uh, what are your thoughts for this other dimension which creates a huge threat to Christianity well this is one of the things that's happening in the West that helps to explain why popular media, why thought influences in the West are not alerting us to the reality of what's being experienced by Christians across the world. Because this cultural Marxism, as it's often called, uh, the secular humanist agenda, as it's also correctly called, uh, adopts the principles of Marxism that says there, there are oppressors and there are victims. And so you classify people into oppressors or victims. And in the West, there's been this humanist agenda adopting these Marxist principles that says, well, Christianity in general, you might argue white Christian males in particular, but Christianity in general has been the oppressor. And all of these different sexual and racial and religious minorities are the victims. And there has to be this overthrow. And so there has to be this new reality, this new civilization. Uh, the rotting corpse of Christianity must be put away. And there is this deliberate agenda that, first of all, seeks tolerance of uh, ideas that are contrary to the norms of a Christian heritage society. Secondly, there's going from tolerance to equality. Then the third level is to say, well, actually, these new values are superior until the fourth one uh, is that you then try to make the old values illegal. And this is a deliberate strategy that the humanist agenda has been following for the last 30, 40, 50 years in the West, and it's achieving something. And at the expense of taking just a little bit of time, I think your readers might be horrified when they hear this quote from uh, the Humanist magazine in 1983. He says, I'm convinced that the battle for humankind's future must be waged and won in the public school classroom by teachers who correctly perceive their role as the proselytizers of a new faith, a religion of humanity that recognises and respects the spark of what theologians call divinity in every human being. That's the agenda and it's being followed. Wow, uh, there's some significance in a lot of the things that you have said there, Ashley Saunders. Uh, but just to pick up on just for a moment, this idea of uh, 
white middle-aged men. Uh, the idea of that Christianity has been the oppressor, uh, not the victim, the oppressor, and now needs to be resisted. The idea of uh, the imperial forces uh, that take over and everybody else is uh, is set aside. Uh, the idea of even talking about colonisation in a nation like Australia. And, of course, uh, uh, there are all sorts of people that are affected by that, and uh, not everything is uh, perfect in all of that, but... What's important here is that when people talk about the negative impact, they're saying it's Christian. And yet it's this it's Christian that's given us the freedoms to be able to have a peaceful society. Uh, This idea that Christians are the ones to blame, this is a major issue for us, isn't it? Yes, it is. And uh, and what you described as uh, trying to do away with um, uh, the Christian influence uh, I think it's something like a tree. This is the image I have in my head, uh, a tree where our Western society is wanting to remove the roots, cut off the roots of the tree, but still expect it to bear fruit or still expect it to bear the same fruit. And uh, and so uh, I don't know that any society is truly Christian. Um, it can be made up of a lot of Christians, but uh, I do believe very strongly that Australia and other Western countries are a Christian heritage society. Why even the first words of our Australian constitution uh, after naming the state says, humbly relying upon the blessings of Almighty God. Uh, we cannot deny that our nation has been built on Christian principles. Okay, we are taking calls. You might like to join our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Sue in Ormiston in Queensland. Hello, Sue. Thanks for waiting so patiently. Hello. Thank you. Um, I just want to say first, uh, thank you for Vision, for all you do. And I want to thank Ashley as well for the Barnabas Fund do for the persecuted Christians. Um, My... Thing is, um, I know that persecution is going on in the world. In fact, it's been going on since the birth of the church. And in fact, in South Sudan and in a lot of African countries, including uh, where it is at the moment in Nigeria, um, it has been going on for centuries because Islam wants what the Christian has. Do you think that's right, Ashley? Does Islam want what the Christian has? Uh, Good question there. Ashley, your thoughts? Uh, Islam is certainly a proselytizing religion, and we acknowledge that Christianity is as well. uh, But there is a difference in the tactics that are used, and uh, we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, should never resort to anything other than love um, and the spiritual weapons that are referred to in the New Testament, the Word of God, the love of God, uh, truth. Truth is a very important thing because it becomes a victim. It becomes a casualty um, when we don't stand for something. And um, in addition to those other places that uh, that were mentioned, uh, you know, even in, in places like Kenya, we think of Kenya as being um, a, a good place for Christians, majority Christians. There are places in Kenya where Christians are disadvantaged because uh, they're in the minority and uh, and so certainly the Barnabas Fund Easter Appeal is focusing on Southeast Africa because most of your listeners today might think of persecution in the Middle East and Northern Africa, but even in other places, uh, it is spreading, not getting smaller. We're taking calls. Thank you so much to Sue from Ormiston. 1-800-316-316. Also leave a comment on our Facebook page. Let me reflect a couple of comments 
And I'll try and get through a few of these. Some of these are a little bit lengthy. Janice says, it will happen everywhere. We all have just, uh, we have all just sat back and watched it happen. Jesus told us to love one another. And uh, love is not just sitting back and saying we are praying for them. Show it by actions. Carolyn says, I believe as Christians that we are, uh, that we are to be out sharing the gospel of Jesus even more now than ever on a personal level, in our own personal lives, standing up for the Christian values and laws on the political scene. And I'm sorry, just my notes are jumping around here a little uh, and not staying silent, uh, pr- praying more than ever uh, for our Christian leaders and churches and not being afraid of the attack upon Christianity, uh, but standing along strong together in unity. Uh, then there's uh, Susan who says, I'm an Assyrian who lived here in Australia for 47 years. Assyrians also call God Allah in, uh, in Assyrian. Uh, not sure why, because our native language is Assyrian, not Arabic. I prefer to call God Maran which means Lord in Assyrian instead of Allah. Uh, now, uh, there's lots in all of those. Uh, any sort of thoughts that jumped out uh, for some of those comments, Ashley? Uh, I like the thought about standing firm, and that's something that we haven't had much experience in doing here in Australia uh, because, in a sense, let me just be maybe even provocative, we've had it relatively easy uh, as Christians uh, for some time. Uh, But let me tell you another story from Nigeria. In addition to the 300-plus who have been killed by Islamic fundamentalists since February, uh, there's a story of 72 Nigerian women and children who were miraculously rescued. This might take just a few minutes to tell, but it's worth uh, I think it's worth telling because of the story of standing firm. So uh, 76 mostly women and children, but four men, were, were taken captive by uh, Boko Haram and the four men were put to the, the, the gun and were told um, recant, re- convert to Islam or we're going to kill you and they did in front of their wives and children. And then the, the other 72 were told uh, a week later, you've got overnight to make a decision about whether you convert or whether you're killed as well. And while the mothers were... Uh, Wondering about what to do, the children said that they had a revelation from God that that we need to stand firm and everything will be okay. And the next morning, when um, the people were about to shoot them, um, all manner of things happened where they they, they saw snakes and they were crying and, and they dropped their guns and went away. And these 72 women and children were miraculously kept alive, um, I believe very firmly, uh, by um, angels at the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ because they stood firm. And that's what people are doing in China and North Korea and in all manner of places. And my encouragement to to your listeners this today is to stay firm, stand firm, keep loving and stand firm. This issue of resilience, when you say that perhaps we've had it a little too easy, uh, the way that we even need to talk about this, uh, talking about it does create, uh, for some, some will say, well, we're actually just creating fear. Uh, and that would be a challenging thing because it's not a, ever our intention to create a fearfulness. But uh, in talking about these things, Ashley Saunders, 
Uh, one of the upshots, of course, is that we can talk about these things, prepare for these things mentally, and therefore create a level of resilience. Uh, even in talking about uh, Jezebel and Ahab, as we did uh, last hour, the Bible stories, when they're not told to children, uh, children lack then the resilience to expect uh, things that can be confronting to them in this real life that we live in. But uh, there's a certain sense in which a lot of those biblical stories, they create resilience. A conversation that I'm having with you today and uh, said to listeners earlier, I wonder whether we're premature, overstepping the mark. Is this a conversation we should be having? But resilience is what can come out of considering these ideas carefully. Uh, Yes, it does. And I'm encouraged by something that Paul wrote in uh, his letter to the church in Philippi. We know it as Philippians 1 and verse 14. And to paraphrase that verse, Paul says something like this, because of my chains, the others in the community were strengthened in their faith and now proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ boldly. Now, that's my paraphrase of Philippians 1.14. There's a sense in which when even today we are alerting your listeners to the reality of what's happening in other parts of the world, the reality of where Australia is going, the intention is one of hope because as we hear of the resilience of others, we become strengthened in our faith and that's a good thing. And when you're talking to Christians in persecution, as I did to Christians in Iran about 14 years ago, um, when I was asking them, how can we pray for you? Their answer wasn't that, that, that persecution would stop, that we'd be able to Uh, practice our faith more freely, what they said was, would you pray that we will remain steadfast in the face of persecution? Uh, And that's a mighty prayer. It's a mighty prayer, and it really deepens our appreciation for what it is to be a Christian, knowing that uh, there is potential in the times to come, that there may be some hardships that we've not been used to, but we ought not to be ignorant that those things could potentially happen. We're taking calls. Let's see if we can get through a few more here. Alison is on the line from Bulawala in Queensland. Have I got uh, your town name right, Alison? Oh, actually, Bulawala. Oh, Bulawala. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm thinking, oh, I've not heard of that uh, that particular name. I do certainly know Bulawala. Alison, what are yes. your thoughts? Uh, well, actually, you've just answered uh, a couple of things I've uh, just got here that there is a lot of fear surrounding the situations and um, I wonder what the best ways for an individual to prepare for potential takeover in Australia. But um, you've answered that in part um, and I just thought, I actually believe that we are in spiritual in a spiritual battle and uh we're a lot more aware of what's happening in the world because social media um, is prolific, actually, uh, Facebook or whatever you look at. And um, the other thing is I personally believe that having Scott Morrison as our Prime Minister is a blessing. And just having a man like that at the top is unreal. So they're just my thoughts. Hmm. Alison, good uh, thoughts in that. And, uh, of course, we want to encourage everyone to pray for our Prime Minister. Also, in the same breath, pray for the Leader of the Opposition as well. But, uh, Ashley Saunders, your thoughts on this issue of fear? Because 
you know, you've got all sorts of people who might be saying, well, uh, what I'm hearing on the radio today is uh, take that sort of doomsday mentality and go and find a bunker somewhere and bunker down. And But that that's not really the approach. Your thoughts for this idea of fear and how you deal with that when you're aware that there are threats? Um, my answer is that there is hope in the good news of Jesus. There is hope for today and there is hope for this life. There is hope for the next life. And uh, we need to be governed not by a spirit of fear, uh, but by a spirit of power uh, that comes straight from Scripture and to recognize that there is hope. Um, that uh, the, the, the New Testament writers refer to hope as basically the essence of what we believe. And we need to not only believe it in our head, but live it out. Thank you so much to Alison from Wheeler. Let's take another call. Chris is on the line from Victoria. Hi, Chris. Um, good day, Neil and Ashley. Yeah, I, I just believe the reasons Christians are being persecuted in, in like Australia, the West, and Europe is because you know, of what we do. We shine a light on man's sin and you know his need for a personal saviour, whereas other religions don't do that. You can do good things for God and, and you're saved. So this really um, great you know, goes against the grain and great with people. And um, another thing is just. Um, I, I agree. It's good that we have Prime Minister Scott Morrison as a Christian, but it would be great if he did a lot more for persecuted Christians. Uh, that would make it even greater. So, uh, good thoughts thought. in there, Chris. Uh, your thoughts, Ashley? Uh, if you, there is no such thing as sin, we don't need a saviour. And uh, that's one of the fundamentals of what Jesus Christ came and what he talked about and what he encourages us to believe and to live out, that uh, we are sinners uh, and there is a need for a saviour. I remember a few years ago in Queensland, there was uh, a complaint made about religious instruction in one of the schools. And the essence of the complaint was that the, the religious instruction teacher apparently had two handkerchiefs, one of which was white, representing sinless Jesus, and the other of which was grey, representing us with our sin. And when the child went home and told mum, mum complains to the government, as a result of which there was a review... And uh, the complaint was, how dare you say that my daughter's a sinner? Uh, if there is not a, such a thing as sin, if we're not sinners, there's not a need for a saviour. That's at the core of the spiritual battle we're in. Thank you so much to Chris from Victoria. And as we get into just this last few minutes of our conversation so much that we haven't been able to talk about, Ashley Saunders, and perhaps we might need to have a part two in this conversation and revive this sometime into the weeks ahead. Uh, but the, uh, the, the, the the things that you work on, uh, we didn't get really into this idea of peace building, peacemaking, because when we talk about our response, fearful response, some people might be angry and uh, thinking about how they might make a violent response, but uh, this essence of peace building, peacemaking, this is something that even Jesus talks about uh, in the Beatitudes, uh, the peacemakers. What are your thoughts for our attitude going forward when things are likely to deepen uh, along these lines that we're talking about today with persecution of Christians? And You know, it's very light, I must say, in Australia at the moment, but let's not Let's not lose sight of the idea that there are things that are rising that are putting more pressure on us. Peacemaking, Ashley, sorry. Well, peacemaking is really the essence of um, peace at the micro-relationship level, ones and twos and threes and fours. And the idea there is to listen to the other. Now, one of the things that we often think is that if I listen to you, that I need to compromise. Um, I need to stand firm on what I believe 
and we can have a meeting um, not only of the minds but maybe even deeper than that if we listen to each other and understand where we're coming from. But we don't have to compromise. In the same way, peace building is really talking about uh, peace at a community level. I had the privilege um, about 11 years ago of being in a part of Indonesia that had experienced terrible conflict at the turn of the century where thousands of Christians had been killed and displaced and to be involved in a peace-building ministry where they recognised the reality of their hurts, where they looked to, to God, they looked to Christ, they looked to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to move forward, but can even be able, I guess, when they bring together truth and righteousness and forgiveness. Let me talk very quickly about forgiveness, because some people think that if I forgive you, what I'm doing is excusing your action. It's not doing that. Some people think that to forgive means that it's okay that you hurt me. It's not that. In many ways, forgiveness is breaking the chain that holds me to that horrible thing that happened. In many ways, it's about a release, um, a release for me. Someone once said, your scars show you where you've been. They don't have to dictate where you're going. And forgiveness is a way of making sure that happens. And so uh, I'd love to explore those things more fully. We don't have time today, but I hope that your listeners are encouraged by the reality that we can listen to others, we can forgive, we can look at truth and righteousness, uh, and we can do so standing firm on the gospel. Ashley, an absolute privilege getting your insights today. Uh, Barnabas Funds, uh, a wonderful organisation, you did mention that there is an appeal that you've got going for South East Africa. And, of course, when the idea of Christian persecution comes into that, where they've faced a, a cyclone natural disaster, uh, of course, when aid is being distributed, depending on who is in charge of the aid, and oftentimes it's Christians who are disadvantaged in the aid distribution. And I know you're working very solidly with Barnabas Fund on that international appeal let me point people to barnabasfund.org.au. You can check out the website. Uh, there'll no doubt be a profile there for Ashley Saunders. You'll be able to send him a note. Uh, but also check out some of the appeals they've got going, some of the work that Barnabas Fund is doing around the world. Uh, Ashley Saunders, just a privilege having you in the studio. Let's do it again sometime soon. But thanks for being with us today on 2020. It's been a real pleasure and good morning to your listeners. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.